We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the post-National Signing Day edition of the State of Recruiting. I'm your host, John Garcia, Jr., of course, recruiting expert. Catch me on CFB Nation platforms all across the board, whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume great college football content. We appreciate the support at CFB Nation. Please like, subscribe, share, and tell your friends to tell a friend about the great content coming through the CFB platform right now. It's all free at CFB Nation. You don't only get recruiting here at SOR. You get the All-America podcast. You get the Lucky Lefty podcast. And, of course, the Irish Breakdown folks there at HQ under Brian Driscoll getting you in the know on the past, present, and really the future of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Of course, signing day just wrapped, so we are going to spend some time digging into, in the 2.0 February version, some winners and losers coming from the day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And I think that's what we've got to make clear. This isn't an all-encompassing class of 2023 look back. That's coming soon. But that's not this. This was about February 1st, 2023, and what went down, the positives, the negatives, the TBDs, whatever you want to call it in that regard. So it's just about that 24-hour period. That day, how did you do relative to expectation? That is how we're forming winners and losers. So fans of certain programs that had great classes, congratulations. You have a great class. You don't need me to prove it to you, but this was signing day 2.0. So it is a smaller sample. It's a smaller pool of prospects. For instance, you go to any recruiting ranking out there and you look at the teams near the top. Alabama didn't add anybody. Georgia didn't add anybody. Texas didn't add anybody. Ditto for Oklahoma. Ditto for Ohio State and LSU and Miami. You have to get to the bottom of the top 10 where Oregon did add somebody. And then you got to go down a little bit further to see that USC added somebody. Penn State also found a new commitment. South Carolina got a heck of a commit that we will certainly talk about. Michigan flipped the prospect. So it's not every single team at or near the top of the rankings. So winners and losers today really won't feel like the same winners and losers from signing day 1.0 back on December 21st. I want to make that abundantly clear before we dig into this, because, you know, we're going to say, hey, Georgia was a loser because it went 0 for 2. And we're going to get Georgia people in our mentions like, how could you say that it was the number two class in America? Blah, blah, blah. Context, context, ladies and gentlemen, this is about February 1st, 2023, National Signing Day 2.0, that day's winners and losers. Of course, we're going to start on the positive end of that coin and dig into some winners. I mean, there's really a lot of schools to pull from. Uh, I think we're going to do so in a certain light. I, I think you go big picture, national splash, who who won that that slot. If you're you're doing a game show, that first slot is that national splash. Who was the winner in that regard? Uh, and then maybe surprise after that. And, and then some other accolades that will sort of dish out as we look at some winners and a couple of losers quickly thereafter. And then, of course, some honorable mention, right? There's going to be a lot of programs that did a little bit, maybe not a lot, but a little bit that is still noteworthy, and we'll dig into some of those topics before the end of today's program. I don't think it's a secret to see who we're going to start this list with, right? Um, There was one five-star, unanimous, freaky athlete. Everybody wanted to know every detail of his recruitment decision, that became finalized on Wednesday. It was Nicholas Harbor out of Washington, D.C. You've heard the story by now. Six foot five, 233 pounds, football star, track star, aspiring surgeon, a kid who had a true national offer list, not only on the football field as either a tight end or a pass rusher, but also on the track as an elite sprinter. Nicholas Harbor was considering a lot of schools. If you go by what he put out going into National Signing Day, you, of course, had Oregon and South Carolina, which was really the two that we've been focused on 
down the home stretch. And then beyond that, you had Michigan, Maryland, Miami. Um, I think LSU and USC also were, were in the video graphic that he teased on Instagram. But in reality, this was Oregon versus South Carolina. And the South Carolina Gamecocks came out on top. So the first big winner, obviously, Shane Beamer and South Carolina. I, I know this is um, – <laughs> In this job, we're supposed to engage you and hold you to our attention. But after this show, or, or you can pause it now and come back later. After this show, go go to Twitter or any social media and find the USC football account and go watch the video of Shane Beamer and the whole coaching staff reacting to Nicholas Harbor picking South Carolina over Oregon. It's fascinating. One, because it's so simple, right? The staff is reacting positively, very animated, very emotional, very enthusiastic. As you would have mentioned, as soon as he puts that Gamecock hat on, the crowd erupts, right? But then you're, you're looking around the room in the video, and you're like, where's Shane Beamer, uh, who's, who's the leader of this thing, right? Brash, energetic, a guy who's galvanized uh, that, that fandom in South Carolina. The camera, like, runs to another room. Shane Beamer's by himself watching it at his desk. Very nice desk, by the way. Watching it at his desk, and he's almost emotional. There's like a combination of, without saying a word, there's a combination of excitement, relief, joy, just a lot of a lot of exhale, the happiest exhale of, of his young life, I, I may I may assume from this video. And it was kind of beautifully shot by, by Justin King and that great. A media staff there at USC, but just go watch it. And I think that tells you all you need to know about this Nicholas Harbor recruitment. Not only how con contested this recruitment was, look, we mentioned it, 6'5", 230. Is he the next Kyle Pitts or, or Kayvon Thibodeau? He could be either. We, we don't really know. He's that raw and he's that freaky athletic. Or could he be a borderline Olympian on the track one day running you know, six six four sixty meter dashes and ten two nine hundreds. Um, this is a guy with polish and more coaching and all of those things that come with that transition from high school to college. This could be a a very world class sprinter. So when you win a recruitment like this, that you could theoretically mold your way, right? You know, you can build him into whoever. If Harbor becomes this first round draft pick in the NFL, the coaching staff of South Carolina is going to get the credit and and and. Rightfully so. He's raw. He's a blank slate, a heck of a lot of tools to work with, but he's a blank slate that needs to be developed. Um, so you could understand why it was such a contested and coveted recruitment. But I think the relief factor of Shane Beamer perfectly encapsulates how this thing was down the stretch. From a buzz standpoint, from a text messaging DM standpoint to my inbox, the confidence levels of these two coaching staffs, both South Carolina and Oregon's, were pretty darn high throughout the end of this recruitment. We talked about it in all of our shows leading up to signing day. There is confidence coming from both Columbia, South Carolina and Eugene, Oregon, almost simultaneously. And you could understand it, right? From the Ducks perspective, look, last official visit, total red carpet treatment, right? I'm talking football, track, administrative stuff outside the box stuff this family was presented everything to the 12th degree when they went up to Eugene and gave them a lot to think about so surely Dan Lanning and company company were confident and rightfully so going down the home stretch and then conversely at South Carolina you were kind of 
the most consistent school for the longest period of time in this conversation without a clear hiccup along the way. Shane Beamer has personally led this charge for many, many months. Nicholas Harbor has taken multiple visits to Columbia, including an official visit during the fall. Um, this one was kind of yours from a track the visits perspective. You didn't have big staff turnover, right? At, at Oregon, the offensive coordinator moved on. Kenny Dillingham, now Will Stein is there. Remember, Nicholas Harbor wants to play offense. At Michigan, one, another finalist, all the Jim Harbor rumors. What, what did that look like? They also had turnover among some of the offensive staffers there in Ann Arbor. Uh, other schools dealt with that. South Carolina did it. So you understand kind of that that long-held confidence from Shane Beamer and company. But still, the buzz was so back and forth. Both were confident. It was like, okay, the night before signing day, South Carolina feels like the fit. You get up Wednesday morning, maybe Oregon overnight really sold the family. And clearly there was some indecision here going on, a lot of back and forth from the Harbor camp itself. And then when we got closer to that ESPN announcement, it really did seem like South Carolina was back in the driver's seat, and that's how it played out. So national win, natural win for South Carolina, and I think that the South Carolina flag is planted nationally. This does not go unnoticed. This wasn't a kid that they had a bunch of ties to who had family members go to South Carolina or he's from the region, anything like that. This is a Washington, D.C. kid who's going to prioritize football and track with a national offer list behind it. So South Carolina had to win this by just doing the work. And I think that is is something that can't be understated. I I also think the track and field program, uh, that long tenure coach, the NIL potential in the SEC with that passion, that fandom, those do factor in. I think we viewed kind of wrongly, we viewed Oregon as such a higher ceiling from a track and field and NIL perspective relative to all the other schools in the mix. And that was, was probably false. That was probably prisoner of the moment coming off of that official track in the visits, recruiting veteran talk. Um, It was a little much, it was hyped a little bit too much clearly in the end. So South Carolina gets this moment with Nicholas Harbor, plant the flag. South Carolina is here to recruit. They're here to contend and you've seen it, right? This momentum from the end of the 2022 college football season, where they upset Tennessee, blow them out. They upset Clemson, their rival. And then recruiting kind of goes crazy. Great early signing period. And then the 2024 class gets going in a very heavy way, positively for South Carolina. So I think all this momentum is, is apexing right now for the Gamecocks. And obviously, Nicholas Harbor is going to be that physical representative of that rising uh, recruiting ceiling. So I think South Carolina is going to be one of those programs that if the stars continue to align, they'll be not only on the field, but but in the talent acquisition department, they'll be right up there with some of the best uh, programs in the SEC. And for that school and fan base, that is a very big deal because we're talking about the best recruiting conference in football by quite a wide margin. So South Carolina, easy winner here. Uh, don't really have to explain it much more beyond that uh, regardless of harbor's position how long it takes him to develop any of those things you get two boosts when you win recruit recruiting battles like this you get the hey we just grabbed a five-star best available type player nationally in a very contested down to the last minute decision so you get that natural buzz just of the human element the story time element of this and then you get the player 
right? Then he actually goes to your university, which is the point of all of this, and he develops into something, right? So whatever he becomes, that's like the second benefit of what South Carolina is going to get out of Nicholas Harbor. The first one is is going down right now. You're experiencing it right now in real time. South Carolina holding national buzz and the most national buzz coming out of National Signing Day. I want to go to another school that's really put in the work. Um, actually, the, the the next two winners we'll talk about were first-year coaches. I mean, this is not something we expect day in, day out. I think Colorado's on here. Look, Deion Sanders, you signed Cormani McLean. You flipped him mid-January, and he actually signed with Colorado. Big deal. You deserve to be on the winning side of this thing. But for the purpose of this conversation, for the purpose of National Signing Day and new acquisitions, you got to go to the other new staff in the Pac-12. How about Arizona State? Kenny Dillingham. What a run he's been on. Less than 70 days on the job. And KD is bringing in the most transfer portal players in the country, even more than Colorado, even more than Ole Miss and some of these other schools, LSU. Um, the biggest transfer portal class in America right now belongs to Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. But he also has a 20-member high school class that he has had to piece together from all over the country. And, of course, the signing day edition was Jaden Rashada. Remember him? We've talked about him plenty leading into this thing as well. Blue chip quarterback for us. Top 10 overall recruit, top 5 overall quarterback coming out of Pittsburgh, California. Six foot four, 180 pounds, incredibly smooth passer. The delivery, the mechanics, the velocity, the third level ability of Jaden Rashada is easy to see, easy to digest and ingest, easy to scout um, very early on in his high school career. And he's only built upon that in the years to come. We forget about the player when we see all the drama, right? We, we see all the drama flipping his commitment from Miami to Florida. And then, of course, uh, early in January, supposed to enroll at the University of Florida doesn't happen. NIL deal, other things going down negatively. And he asks out of the letter of intent via the Florida Gators. They grant him that access. And it's sort of a total reset for Jaden Rashada. And a bunch of schools inquired, right? We heard of Washington and Cal and Colorado and Arizona State and TCU and others. But only two visits went down. And they went down back-to-back -back weekends. The first one, Kenny Dillingham and Arizona State. The second one, I know, created some angst among Sun Devil fans because it was to TCU, to see Sonny Dykes, to see the Horned Frogs. And you talk about making an argument. Um, hello? Did we not just see what TCU did on the field with a prolific offense that puts a lot on the quarterback's shoulders? Something advantageous when you're recruiting the position uh, after what Max Duggan and Sonny Dykes did together in 2022. Yet and still, the buzz, even right after that, was still with the Sun Devils. And there's obviously a lot of history here, right? Not only is Jaden Rashada an Arizona State legacy, his dad Harlan played there in the late 90s, but the relationship with Kenny Dillingham is one that dates back to not just Oregon, where Dillingham came from before getting his first head coaching gig down at, at ASU, but even back to Florida State before he was on staff there at Oregon. Uh, Dillingham has been heavy on West Coast quarterbacks uh, throughout um, his, his, his early recruiting history, his young recruiting history. This guy's just in his mid-30s. 
And Jaden Rashad is one of his top targets over the long haul in this class of 2023. And if you think about great quarterback recruiters, the the brain in our industry goes right to Lincoln Riley, right? You, you think of Caleb Williams and Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and all these number one picks and or Heisman Trophy winners uh, that he has helped develop. You go there, you probably go where? Where else do you go? You go to Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, Todd Munkin now, I think, is going to start developing some of that reputation. You, you go to certain places, right? Ohio State and Ryan Day, what they've been able to do over several different quarterbacks. You go to all those places when you think of quarterback development. The Lake Mike Leach deserves a mention here as well, RIP Pirate. But Kenny Dillingham, in this cycle, you could argue signed the best combination, or excuse me, you could argue Kenny Dillingham got two of the best quarterbacks committed in this cycle. And he did so as underdogs at two different Pac-12 schools. Let's rewind to the summer, everybody. Kenny Dillingham went out and got Dante Moore from Detroit, Michigan to Eugene, Oregon. This was not the favorite going into Dante Moore's recruitment. And again, for my money, Dante Moore, number one player, number one quarterback in the country, Midwestern kid, a lot of ties to schools in the Midwest. Ohio State was his dream school. He was equidistant just about from Michigan and Michigan State. Michigan State made a huge run at Dante. Notre Dame was the early favorite for Dante. And then the SEC came calling. LSU, Texas A&M, all involved for Dante Moore before he ultimately picked the Oregon Ducks, largely because of Kenny Dillingham, which is why when he took the Arizona State job, all the Oregon Duck red flags went way up quickly. And of course, Moore ended up flipping to Chip Kelly and the UCLA Bruins. So Dillingham gets the job at Arizona State and he's got to attack the quarterback position, right? Huge area of need. Uh, Emory Jones departs. A bunch of guys tried to piece that thing together last year. It didn't work out, right? That's why they brought in a mind like Kenny Dillingham's. So not only does he go out and get Drew Pine from Notre Dame in the transfer portal, but now on National Signing Day, he lands Jaden Rashada, again, uh, a top five quarterback. There's no other OC in this class that was able to land two top five quarterbacks at different points. Kenny Dillingham was able to do so. So let's not sleep on him any further. And let's also applaud what Arizona State has been able to do in a very short amount of time. You're talking less than 70 days between I'm hired and now we've got the biggest portal class in the country and 20 more high schoolers to supplement that group. And one of them is Jaden Rashada, an Elite 11 quarterback, top five quarterback in this class of 2023. By the way, we call this the year of the quarterback, right? So if you're top five in any class, it's impressive. But in this class, it hits a little bit harder. And let's also remember Jaden Rashada's talent is the reason why all the drama surrounding his name has gotten the attention that it has because his talent has deemed uh, a, lot of, a lot of this attention. So I think it should naturally go back to that as we talk Arizona State and National Signing Day. So huge winner, South Carolina with Nicholas Harbor, Arizona State overall, but especially because of Jaden Rashada, who got his decision done early in the process, which is understandable, right? I mean, my goodness, after the Florida situation, you knew he was going to have his head down, take the visits, and, and make this decision. So that comfort, familiarity with not only Arizona State, but with Dillingham in particular, invaluable in that decision-making process. The final winner is another school 
under new construction. Luke Fickle in Wisconsin. Hello. Watch what they have been doing. You, you, you bring in Luke Fickle. He brings in some Cincinnati staffers. And then he brings in Phil Longo from North Carolina to, to pilot this offense. And Wisconsin goes crazy on the talent acquisition front, particularly on offense, right? Understandable with Longo and his history at North Carolina, Drake May, Sam Howell, a lot of production here recently in a modern up-tempo scheme that quarterbacks and receivers and tight ends should really like. And Wisconsin takes full advantage. They get transfers from Tanner Mordecai and Nick Evers at the quarterback position, and they sign a 23 quarterback in December, and they already got a 24 quarterback on board so you knew a lot of offensive boxes were going to be checked when Longo got the job but Luke Fickle on signing day reminded folks hey defensively at Wisconsin we're going to be able to contend for some big time recruits as well as Jamel Howard recommitted to the Wisconsin Badgers and normally we wouldn't look at a recommitment and view that as a big winner but Howard initially committed to the previous coaching staff he backs off of that commitment late in 2022. Everybody comes calling, the entire Big Ten, and then schools down south simultaneously. Going into that early signing period after he decommits from Wisconsin, even as Luke Fickle and company are trying to get back involved, Michigan really presses. And at one point, it looked like he might sign with the Wolverines. He doesn't sign in December, bets on himself and says, hey, I'm going to see what my value is and take more visits in January. Howard, the Illinois native, visited Illinois, of course, officially. And then he took a bunch of other visits. LSU and Miami, the last two weekends of the cycle, Ole Miss tried to get a late visit here out of the 320-pounder, but he opted for Coral Gables. And there was confidence in more than one camp going into the home stretch here. Michigan remained confident, even though they didn't capitalize on the momentum in December when they hosted him for the visit. Uh, and then Illinois had some confidence as the in-state contender. And then LSU, I thought, was the last new school to show confidence. Miami kind of knew this was a puncher's chance. Let's just uh, take a late swing at a big interior prospect because they only signed one high school player at the position on defense uh, to this point. Um, but LSU had some confidence. Michigan had some confidence. So for him to go back to Wisconsin through all of that I thought was a very, very nice win for Luke Fickle. This was not as sexy as a quarterback or, or overhauling the entire roster through high school and the portal, which they've done very, very well, but really nice to get a recommitment for, for a kid who believed in Wisconsin initially, and then his stock went up, and he, he still came back around to play his college ball in Madison. So I thought Jamel Howard picking the Wisconsin Badgers was a really nice win on Wednesday. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, let's dig into some losers. I know this is probably why a lot of you click this link. Uh, we, we've got to do our due diligence as journalists, right? Give you the winning side. Let's give you the losing side. Again, let me reemphasize for context, the CFB Nation State of Recruiting show that we're doing right now is about National Signing Day winners and losers on the day and for the day. Not the cycle, not the month, not the year, not the portal. National Signing Day, February 1st. How did you do that day relative to expectation? Now, our first loser, Stanford, I think relative to expectation is is the key. Did Stanford expect to continue to lose prospects on National Signing Day, or or was this more of a an indicator for BYU and for Michigan to come and poach that Stanford commitment list? Uh, not a great day for the new coaching staff in Palo Alto. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but not a whole lot of new additions and some pretty big subtractions, um, especially in-state. Cameron Brandt, Sierra Canyon High School, big defensive lineman, 6'4", 260, decommits on signing day from the Stanford Cardinal and signs with the Michigan Wolverines. So Michigan didn't get uh, Jamel Howard, but they did get Cameron Brandt on the defensive front. Brandt a little bit more of a long-term play than Howard from a size perspective in particular. And then maybe the bigger loss for Stanford, especially when you think of the success they've had in recent years. Of course, they're under new construction there as well after David Shaw's resignation. L.J. Martin, L.J. Martin, the running back from El Paso, Texas, almost 5,000 rushing yards the last two years combined. So his upperclassman seasons in high school, he rushed for almost 5,000 yards total. So productive at 6'1", 207. Going to Stanford, you talk about a fit. That's a fit, right? Stanford wants to go downhill and run the football. Well, he flips from Stanford to BYU, new member of the Big 12 Conference, of course. So Stanford lost two commitments on signing day, and then a third commitment they lost previously, tight end Walker Lyons, was a guy who, if we didn't know if he was going to sign, was Stanford going to be able to get back in the race for him that answer was no. He signs surprisingly to some with USC. There was buzz for Georgia as well as Utah going into that decision. But tight end Walker Lyons, another in-stater from Folsom, California, opted for USC. So three Stanford commitments signed elsewhere on Wednesday. Hard to push back against those optics, but again, somewhat understandable because, uh, that staff's under new construction, right? Uh, David Shaw, it's weird to say, David Shaw is no longer there at Stanford. It it is Troy Taylor's program, and he's obviously got a a lot of work to do here overhauling uh, that roster. Uh, They're getting a couple transfers now, even though it's really hard to do so there at Stanford, uh, and they signed 19 players between December and February. So, a lot of work ahead there for Zach Taylor and company. So Stanford, unfortunately, a loser on a national signing day. We'll see how that shows up here going forward. And this is the one. Let me exhale. 
because I know I know I'm gonna catch some ads, right? That at sign on Twitter. I know someone's gonna do it. So let me just go ahead and, and get out in front of this thing. I'm calling Georgia a loser on National Signing Day. I said it just on this day, and that's the whole context here, right? Just on February 1st, relative to expectation, yes, the number two overall recruiting class in America, the Georgia Bulldogs under Kirby Smart, back-to-back defending national champion Bulldogs, they are a loser on National Signing Day in the class of 23. Let me make sure that is clear. In the class of 23, because they did, of course, get a class of 2024 five-star IMG Academy cornerback in Ellis Robinson, the fourth. And that was a head-to-head win for Kirby Smart over Nick Saban in the secondary, which, you know, those are huge. Those are program-changing, defining. They hit different in, in that rivalry. So in 24, Georgia might have the number one class today, and it might be the case a year from now when we wrap up the class of 24. And it got better on Wednesday with Ellis Robinson. But if we go to 23, which is where we're at right now. Let's not look ahead too much. If we go to the class of 23, Georgia underperformed relative to expectation. Going into it, there was a chance, a chance that Georgia was in on two prospects, both at the same position, both tight ends. Number one tight end, Deuce Robinson, and former Stanford commit Walker Lyons. I know we just mentioned him, so spoiler alert, we just told you where he signed. It wasn't with Georgia, but here's the thing. About a week ago, good source in Athens told me, hey, at one point, Georgia has, has thought recently that they were going to get both tight end recruits, Robinson and Lions. The dust settled on Wednesday, and they got neither. Now, am I worried about Georgia's tight end room with Brock Bowers coming back and Oscar Delp's development and all these guys, Pierce Sperlin coming in? No, I'm not worried about Georgia's tight end room. But just for Wednesday, relative to expectation, where you thought on the bright side you could sign two of the best tight ends in the country and you sign zero, just for that moment, Georgia becomes a loser. Let's call it what it is, right? If we're going to judge this thing objectively, people can get it at the top just like they can elsewhere, right? Um, So just for signing day, Georgia, bit of a loser in my book. So Walker Lines, of course, signs with USC. Big stunner to me. The biggest surprise of signing day that I saw was, was that. Um, I, I thought Lions was Georgia bound, and I thought Utah was the primary competitor if he wasn't going to opt for Kirby Smart and company. But he did elect to stay in the Pac-12, not with Stanford, where he was once committed, not with Utah, where the buzz was, but with USC and Lincoln Riley. So he'll go on his LDS mission and then he'll be a trojan in some time uh 24 uh in a year plus or so so georgia misses on that tight end and then the other one technically didn't sign a little bit more of a technicality right am i nitpicking georgia fans look if you want to be the best and be known as that great recruiting program the best recruiting program in the country you got to take this heat you got to take this heat when when it's ready for you because it's honestly not going to happen that often But Deuce Robinson, the number one tight end in the country, he's not ready. Did an interview with ESPN and confirmed that he was not ready to sign his national letter of intent. Georgia had held all the recent buzz with Robinson. USC held buzz earlier during the recruiting cycle. Oregon, Alabama, Texas round out his top options. Um, Maybe he'll take visits 
Uh, we don't know when this thing will come to an end, but there is a sense that this one could last a while. So does Georgia's current lead or perceived current lead, does that hold up for Deuce Robinson going forward? Because it's not just the other schools you have to worry about here. It's the sport of baseball, and it could be Major League Baseball that you're worried about here because Deuce Robinson is 6'6", 225 pounds, looks like Aaron Judge, and a lot of people think he could be the next Aaron Judge. So depending on how that rise and perception travels throughout the spring into the summer uh, ahead of that MLB draft, I believe in the month of June, that could very much affect where Deuce Robinson ends up next year, whether it's college or not that could very much affect it. So there's a chance that Georgia uh, and everyone else misses out on Deuce Robinson. But right now, Georgia has held the most college football buzz for Deuce. Um, Will that continue? Um, Certainly there are people in his camp and around both sports that will keep him informed of what the market says he might be from a draft projection standpoint. And you understand when it goes the other way. I mean, there's not a lot of players – Kyler Murray is probably the best exception that we could highlight recently. Not a lot of players get drafted high early in baseball, get presented with that potential signing bonus and and or overall money uh, and say no thanks. Uh, So we'll see how that works out there with Deuce Robinson. But baseball, uh, according to him, is really what's pushing this decision further uh, than he thought. And look, this isn't a new development. Deuce has hinted at this recently at at different points, including the last time I spoke to him in person at the Under Armour All-America game. Uh, He said that baseball could push him into the spring and that he wasn't dead set on a February 1st decision. We thought it could happen, but it didn't happen. So Deuce Robinson's still on the market as of this recording. So easily the top unsigned recruit in all of high school football. So we gave you some big winners, South Carolina, Arizona State, Wisconsin couple of losers, Stanford and Georgia. Let's roll through really quickly here. Some honorable mentions. Um, I thought USC with Walker Lyons had a really nice day. That was, again, the biggest surprise that I tracked personally. I know they were in it for Roderick Pleasant, the cornerback from Southern California, who opted for Oregon. Another track star, by the way, actually has faster times than Nicholas Harbor. Um, I know Pleasant was a big Big deal for USC. There was some back and forth between USC and Oregon, uh, understandably, when when you're talking football on track for a SoCal native. uh, But he opts for Oregon over USC. So Walker Lyons was in. Big surprise. But you did lose out on Roderick Pleasant. So you're a bit of an honorable mention in in my book. Oregon, same deal. You got Roderick Pleasant, the speedy cornerback. uh, But you did not grab Nicholas Harbor, of course, the biggest fish that made things official on Wednesday. I thought Penn State wrapped up their class very nicely and wrapped up a very nice offensive line class on Wednesday. It's got a bit of everything within it, and the final piece might be the most intriguing of them all. Chimdi Ono from Maryland, one-time Old Dominion commitment, opted for Penn State over Michigan State, Ole Miss, and Rutgers. Big-time late riser, six foot five, 270 pounds, great basketball player, great movement skills. Chimdi moves like he's 250, getting to the second level, getting out in space, leading screens and tunnels. This is a very intriguing movement, long-term development player, and Penn State's done a very good job 
with this overall offensive line class uh, for James Franklin. So nice job by Penn State uh, this cycle as usual and on signing day, uh, holding off uh, some late visits to Michigan State and Ole Miss uh, for the win there. Speaking of the Rebels, they did miss on Ono, as we just highlighted. They also missed on Jonathan Martin, the in-state defensive lineman who opted for Mississippi State. However, they did grab a commitment from Chamberlain Campbell on Tuesday, six foot seven pass rusher from St. Petersburg, heavy basketball background, long-term potential there. And then the opposite committed on signing day. DJ Holmes, the nation's leading sacker, 32 and a half sacks as a senior down at Pahokee High School in the muck, as they call it. Um, sawed off 6'2, 235, over 50 sacks the last two years. Uh, so not a projection long term. This is a high floor player that's going to come in and help the new DC Pete Golding get to work quickly and help to pressure the passer. Ole Miss actually added a junior college linebacker on Thursday, uh, right when we started to record this. So Ole Miss has added three new front seven players over the last three days. So they deserve an honorable mention, though they did lose out on Chimdi Ono and Jonathan Davis. Uh, and then Mississippi State, our final honorable mention here. Look, um, obviously, when, when you talk about Mississippi State, uh, unusual circumstances, right? Um, unbelievable circumstances. But the Bulldogs uh, rallied during early signing day, which came only a week after Mike Leach's um, unfortunate passing. Uh, so it was amazing for them to grab a nice big class in December. But then they had two more players on Wednesday, uh, two very, very interesting players at that. We just mentioned Jonathan Davis, very late riser in the state of Mississippi, 300-pounder who could work inside and out, uh, had, had a big-time group of schools come in very late. Not only did Mississippi State have to beat Egg Bowl rival Ole Miss, but they had to hold off Texas. Texas was a school that began to push for Jonathan Davis. So that was a nice in-state win for Mississippi State. Uh, and then a cornerback, Will James from Theodore, Alabama, he signs with Mississippi State. That was a flip. He was committed to Southern Miss, but blew up as a senior, and especially in the postseason during that Alabama-Mississippi All-Star Week, Will James became a big-time commodity for a bunch of programs, and Mississippi State reels him in. He's over six foot with nice polish and coverage skills. The Mobile area produces great secondary players. Will James might be next up in that regard. So nice job by Mississippi State down the home stretch. They're bringing in a, a very, very big recruiting class, 27 players headed to Starkville. So I think that's about it. Those are the biggest deciders, movers, and shakers on National Signing Day. Again, this is not about the overall cycle, just the end point. How did you look relative to expectations during the end point? South Carolina, Arizona State, Wisconsin, among the very best. I, I also think, you know, Auburn, UNLV, Cincinnati, I have here in my notes, uh, finishing well, Kentucky, Louisville on top of that. Uh, Nebraska with Matt Rule did a, a heck of a job all cycle. That continued on Wednesday. Uh, on the flip side, Stanford and Georgia, not the best days in those coaches' recruiting tenure. And then we thought there was some honorable mention, USC, Oregon, Penn State, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So National Signing Day 2023 officially 
behind us. We will do some bigger picture stuff here moving forward on our podcast. We'll look at our top classes, dig into them, sometimes one by one, as Alabama takes home yet another recruiting national championship. They thought Saban was done, and he's winning recruiting titles without a coordinator on offense or defense. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in a couple of days right here on the State of Recruiting. God bless. Garcia out.